0: Well, brothers and sisters, we come to this time of questions and answers. Now for the newcomers, I would like to say a few words first. If there is any real question, God is the only one who can answer you. Man can only touch the superficial, cannot deal with the real problem. We have to look to the Lord to be the answer to all our problems. This time of question and answer is not a time for mental exercise. I think we have exercised our mind enough. This is the time for spiritual exercise. As we are looking into these questions, something that may puzzle us, something that may stand in the way of our spiritual pursuit, We want to consider together, help one another, and by the grace of God, try to have our obstacles removed so that the Lord can do the real work. So it is a time you are not here to listen. It is a time you come here to exercise. This is time that we have to sweat. We have to stretch. We have to put our heart into it. So it is a mutual thing. You are not coming to hear some giving you right or wrong answers. But you are here to exercise your spirit and try to touch the Lord we're looking to the Lord as we are sharing together that all the obstacles will be removed that we may really walk on the highway of holiness I have received a few questions The first question is, what is the relationship between consecration and the cross in regard to possessing our inheritance? Now, brothers and sisters, we know consecration is of utmost importance on this matter of bearing the cross in our pursuit of spiritual exercise. Why? Because without consecration we are not able to bear the cross. Or to put it Even more, without consecration, you really do not know what the cross is. Because oftentimes we think it is our cross. But actually, we are the cross crossing other people. We do not really know what is the cross that I am to bear. You know, Peter, he came to the Lord and said, I bear a cross. My brother crosses me. Seven times I have forgotten, forgiven him. Is that enough? Now, I often think, who is crossing who? If you know the character of Peter and the character of Andrew, I would say mostly it is Peter who is manufacturing the cross. But this is the way we feel. We always feel it's people that crosses us, not realizing that actually we are the cross. So, brothers and sisters, we will never understand what the cross is until consecration. Consecration is the first spiritual Experience. If you have never been consecrated, you have no spiritual life at all. Why? Because even though you are saved, you still live by your own life. You cannot call that spiritual life. So spiritual life begins with consecration. Praise the Lord. He has given us life. The life of Christ Jesus in us. And Christ in you, the hope of glory. But unless you're willing, you're ready to allow the life of Christ to take the ascendancy, you will not be able to experience that life in your daily life. So, consecration is the first spiritual experience in our life. By consecration, it doesn't mean That you give yourself to the Lord in the sense that you are going to do something for him. Now that's the way I usually was taught when I was saved. But according to the scripture, consecration is to present your bodies a living sacrifice. When you offer a sacrifice, you not only tie it to the altar, but you kill it. Why? Because you want to offer it to God. It is out of your own hand. It is now in the hand of God. Now that is consecration. So, brothers and sisters, we need to present our bodies a living sacrifice. Not to be killed, but to be lived for him and by him. Now that's consecration. To put it another way, consecration is to give up your right to yourself. Hand over your right to God and give him liberty to do whatever he wants to do in your lives. So consecration basically is not working for God. Consecration basically is allow God to work in you. Because God always respects our will. He will never force us in any way, he will patiently wait for you until you are willing to give yourself to him. And then you will discover he began to work in your life. And then the Holy Spirit, who is the only one who has the wisdom to arrange crosses for you to bear. We do not have that wisdom We have the foolishness of creating crosses for other people. But we do not have the wisdom even to know what the cross is and how to bear it. We don't know that. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. Immediately after you give yourselves, your right to God, the Holy Spirit will begin to work in you. He will arrange crosses for you to bear. And by crosses it simply means when the will of God crosses your will, when the mind of God crosses your mind, when God's feeling crosses your feeling, now that Is a cross. You may think that. So and so. Crosses me. But remember. It is the Holy Spirit. That arranges so and so. To be only the instrument. Of giving you. A cross to bear. So never put. Put your attention on people, on things, on environment. But whatever, from wherever these things come, remember, you are the Lord. The Lord loves you. It is He who arranges your life. And that gives us the willingness to accept it the willingness to bear it. And by bearing it simply means you allow your own will, your own mind, your own emotion to be put to death. That the will of God, the feeling of God, the mind of God may come out in your life. Now, that's the cross. So the cross on one hand is to deal with our old flesh, old self, putting it to death. And on the other hand, is to adding Christ into your life. So this is the only way to possess our inheritance, because our inheritance is nothing more than having Christ. Christ will increase and we will decrease. Now, that's the relationship between consecration and the cross. Another question here is Brother Carl shared that the problem with us is that our weakness somehow circumscribe God. That's why we must be delivered out of ourselves, to be delivered unto God. Can you elaborate more? Now, did I really say (laughs) that our weakness circumscribes God? Did I say that? If I say that, I apologize. (laughs) If the the Lord allows me to say it, I will say. Our strength circumcises God. That is the correct one. But unfortunately, so far as our feeling is concerned, that's the way we feel. If I'm strong enough, I will be able to do the will of God. But unfortunately, I'm too weak. So I cannot do it. Now, is that your feeling? But remember, your feeling deceives you. Your feeling actually covers what you really are. You may feel it that way. But why do you feel it that way? Because you consider yourself stronger than that. You can do it. But to your surprise, you cannot do it. Now, isn't that your strength circumscribes God? So, in the wisdom of God, what God is doing is to weaken you. He will weaken you to the extent that you bow down your head and confess, I am weak. Now, brothers and sisters, have you been brought to that point yet? The law will test you to the uttermost the children of Israel, when God said, give them the law, all they said, we'll do it. You don't need to talk too much. We have heard enough. We will do it. God said, all right, I will test you. And God tested them in the wilderness. And what was the result? In Deuteronomy we are told that God brought them into the wilderness for one purpose. To prove them. God knows all along but we do not know. So God used wilderness to prove us to test us Until we realize in me that is in my flesh there is no good. So brothers and sisters it is not your weakness that is the problem. It is your strength that is the problem. You remember the experience of the Apostle Paul? In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he was greatly used by God in preaching the gospel. But unfortunately, there was a stick thrust into his body. It is the enemy. Because God has given him such great revelations. So God allows the enemy to thrust a stick into his body, to make him weak. And how Paul struggled against it. He has very good reason for it because he was preaching the gospel of grace of the great deliverance of God and here he was trembling poor eyesight now some people say Paul traveled in the areas where malaria was spreading and evidently he got malaria. And when you got malaria, that's what happened. You shake, right? And it affects your eyes. And Paul felt he was he will not glorify God. If I'm weak, I I do not glorify God. Only if I'm strong, that proves the strength of the gospel that I preach. So Paul prayed, and prayed, and prayed. Now, we are just like him. Make me strong, for your sake. But God said, if you are strong, it is for your sake, not for my sake. It is for my sake, it is for my sake. You have to be weak. Because my grace is sufficient for you. And my power is manifested in your weakness. Brothers and sisters, unless we are reduced to the point where we really, honestly confess we are weak. Lord, I just cannot. I have tried. But I fail. And fail and fail. Lord, what can I do? It's up to you now. And you will find when you are weak he is strong his grace is sufficient for you so brothers and sisters let's recognise our problem I think this is one of the hardest problems to anybody to realise but once you recognise that problem you give God opportunity to show forth his strength so you know spiritual law is opposite to earthly law it is not what we think because God's thought is higher than our thoughts and his way is higher than our way. Okay? And then, the third question. Brother Carl mentioned, poor Brother Carl, always mentioned the wrong thing. Brother Carl mentioned, that after the earnest payment was made by Christ to secure our spiritual inheritance we have to continue to make the payment in order to gain our full spiritual inheritance Can you explain how we shall make such payments (laughs) well I will say, we never be able to make such payments. He paid it off. Amen. You know, when we believe in the Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in our spirit. This is the down payment. In other words, even the down payment is not paid by us. The down payment is paid by God. God paid it for you. As and now, this is a sign that the inheritance belongs to you. So the same Holy Spirit who is the down payment he is also the full payment. Every payment that can be made is made by the Holy Spirit. But it looks as if you're paying it. Why? Because he wants you to cooperate he wants you to yield to him now if you do not yield to him he has no way to pay it for you strangely after he had paid the down payment for us assure us that the property will belong to us that Christ will be our portion then suddenly our mind changes thank you very much for the first payment now I'm going to pay the rest (laughs) so you're trying to pay it you're trying to do the will of God you are trying to make Christ increase in your life by gathering all those informations with all these theological doctrines and teachings, you think that is the way that Christ may increase in you. Never. This is the foolishness of man. We do not know how can Christ be increasing us. We think we can do it, make him increase. Try it and see whether you are able to. It is the Holy Spirit Spirit himself continually paying all the rest of the payment for the inheritance. He is the only one who can glorify Christ. He is the only one who is able to make Christ increase in our lives. And with the increase of Christ in our lives, we enter more into our spiritual inheritance. And God has more in us for his inheritance. So remember, brothers and sisters, from the start to the end, it is the Holy Spirit. Not us. But when the Holy Spirit is paying the rest of the payment. And as a matter of fact, he is trying to pay it day after day. It is not in one lump sum and another lump sum. In other words, we do not live our life through crisis only. There may be crisis, but you do not live your life by crisis only. You live your life daily. And it is the daily work of the Holy Spirit in our lives that is paying and paying and paying the rest of the payment to our inheritance. So this is why it's so important. Our daily life is so important. Do not way well until a crisis is formed. In our daily life, Learn to listen to the still small voice. Learn to obey the teaching of the Holy Spirit. Learn to allow the Holy Spirit to bring you to death and bring Christ into life. Brothers and sisters, this is the way that the payment is continually being paid. So I would suggest, brothers and sisters, do not look for prices. Be faithful in your daily life. Another question. What is the difference between the Lord is my portion And the Lord is our portion. What's the difference between our individual inheritance and our corporate spiritual inheritance? You know, we tend to divide the individual, the personal, from the corporate, the body. But in the eyes of God, They are one. They are just so intimately intertwined with one another. You cannot divide them. Now if you want to divide them, probably there is only one way. And the way is, so far as the dealings is concerned, it is more on the personal individual basis. But so far as the end result, the purpose, the will of God is concerned. Even all the dealings that happen in our individual lives are really for the corporate, the body. And oftentimes you find even with the dealings of God with you individually, because it has to be personal, nobody can substitute for you. Just like when we are saved, nobody can save for you. And I hear some people say, well, if I can only hang on the... Garment of so and so. Then when the rapture call come, he goes and I go with him. <laughs> Nonsense. We are all personally, individually responsible. So the dealings will be personal. But remember, the dealings is for the corporate. It's never just for yourself. Do not think that God is preparing only you for the throne to share with Christ. Just like the two sons of Zebedee, one on your left and one on your right. No. There are twelve thrones around the throne of God. So, brothers and sisters, do we not divide these two things? Individually, willing to take the cross and the dealings. And when this is being done, you'll find it is not for you, it is for the body of Christ. So, that is what it should be. And then, finally, at the end of our earthly journey, how can we make sure that we have gained our spiritual inheritance? Such as Paul claimed in Second Timothy four seven to eight. Now again that shows something. We want to be sure. Do you want the Lord to be sure? Or do you want you to be sure? If the Lord will not let you be sure, will you say, then I give up? Look at Paul. Even when he wrote the letter to the Philippines. He was in prison in Rome for the gospel's sake. Was he sure that he had apprehended all that God has apprehended him for? That all the purposes of God on him had been realized? No. He said, I do not say I have apprehended all that God has apprehended me I'm just forgetting the past and pressing on, stretching myself towards the goal for the high calling of God brothers and sisters that's our attitude you know we always want to be sure that's what insurance come in But insurers in these days are not very trustworthy. <laughs> now, who is our insurance? We do have insurance. Who is our insurance? I know whom I have believed, and I'm a fully confident that he is well able to keep that which I have committed to him for that day. That's our assurance. It pleased God that not until Paul was on the verge of martyrdom that in 2 Timothy God gave him that assurance. So whether God gave you the assurance or not it really doesn't matter what matter is do you believe that God is your assurance I have a motto that I always use ever ready never ready that is our attitude we should be ever ready Because we don't know when the Lord will return. Now, it's possible. Suddenly, hopefully, this room is emptied. (laughs) What the Lord reminds us is, watch and pray. You know, when you're sure You don't watch anymore. You don't pray anymore. You think you have arrived. God does not want us to have such attitude. Ever ready, brothers and sisters. But within your heart, you realize you are never ready. The Lord is still working. Working to the last minute. So our assurance is in Christ. He who has called us is faithful. He will perform it. So may our assurance be in Christ Jesus and not in ourselves. The moment you feel sure is the moment you are not sure. God wants us to keep us in humility. Meekness and lowliness. is the spirit of Christ. So may the Lord have mercy upon us.
1: I also have three questions. <clears throat> First question is, what are the greatest hindrances that we may have for us to enter into our spiritual inheritance? You know, in this portion of The scripture is called the Hebrews, letter to the Hebrews. I think we discover many of the obstacles that stand in the way. So there's no way that we can take the time this morning to go back over the 12 things that we mentioned last night. And if you carefully read Hebrews, you'll find many more of these issues. Because he has to address the matter that they were in a position in a place where they needed for the Lord to warn them they were in a very dangerous place because they were refusing God's precious inheritance given to them freely and they were returning to something that was not God's best for them And so, I'm just going to mention three things that I think can be major hindrances to our inheriting our inheritance. Now, can I just underline a couple of things before I share these three things? One is, brothers and sisters, the inheritance that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ is an eternal inheritance. So our spiritual inheritance is eternal. It's been abundantly provided by our God. And you know from your experience with Him, He only gives the best. And whatever He gives, it's totally appropriate to to ourselves. And so when we consider that when God said, let us make man in our own image according to our likeness, that God had already had this design in his own heart as to what he wanted man to be and why he wanted man to be that way. Because his design was that we, as those who've been created by him, would live a life of total dependence on him. Now, this is so difficult for us to accept. Because you know, here in the United States, if you have been listening, you probably have heard someone say, God helps those who help themselves. I've been searching for the chapter and verse. I haven't found it yet. What I've discovered is that God says, That's not what I'm after. I designed you, I created you, and I have redeemed you so you will live a life of total dependence on me. As we have heard again and again, God has in himself our inheritance. And he gives it to us in the person of his Son, and the Holy Spirit comes and leads us into the experiencing of that inheritance. And as our dear brother just mentioned to us, this is something for us every day. It's not something to be looked at just at the end of your life. This to me is very unfortunate that somehow we have begun to think that uh, something we're going to inherit something at the end. But I don't believe this is what God has for us. The moment we believe in our Lord Jesus Christ we become heirs at that very second. God cannot give us any more than he's already given us. He's put all the fullness of himself in his Son and given his Son to us as a free gift and has sent the Holy Spirit here to help us discover this inheritance that is ours. So, what are the major or the greatest hindrances to us entering in to our inheritance every day. Well, I think Hebrews chapter 4 points out to us probably the greatest hindrance to our experiencing our inheritance. And we won't read the verses because I trust that you have read them the end of chapter 3, the last part of chapter 3, and on into chapter 4. And it says that God was angry with his covenant people, his old, the, the people he was in covenant with in the, under the old covenant. Now, why does God condescend to make covenant with us as human beings? Because, my brothers and sisters, the only way that God can fulfill his eternal purpose is by making covenant with human beings because he made an eternal decision that his son was going to have a bride and this bride was going to be composed of human beings who had the character of his son fully formed in them. So, what hinders us? Well, the writer there in that chapter 3 and 4 speaks about hardening our hearts. Now, you know how the writer of Hebrews begins this letter. He begins by telling us that God has been faithful to speak through the prophets in many portions and in many ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us in a very, very special way, in a very unique way. He's spoken to us in his Son. Everything God has to say to us, he has said it to us. Clearly, completely, nothing is left out. It's in the person of his Son. So in chapter 2 of Hebrews, the writer encourages us to pay much closer attention to what we have Heard. But now he uses the example of God's covenant people in the past who rather than carefully listening, they hardened their heart and the result was unbelief. Now you remember in chapter 11 that the word of God tells us without faith it is impossible impossible. And so what one thing God expects from us is for us to believe what he has said to us in his son. Now, if our hearts are hard for whatever reason, and there are many reasons that can cause hard hearts. You remember in Matthew 13 when our Lord Jesus is talking about the message of the kingdom, the mysteries of the kingdom. What was the problem? The condition of the heart. It's a major, major issue. And so, when God begins his work of redeeming us, of bringing us into our inheritance, where does he begin? In the mind? In the body? No. No he gives us a new heart and then puts his spirit inside of us. New heart, new spirit, and his spirit inside of us. So this is where God begins. Because with the first man, when he disobeyed, something came into being that God never wanted man to experience. God says you became flesh. And the thoughts of their hearts were continuously evil. And God had to bring judgment upon them. So when our Lord, in his great love and wisdom, when he begins his work of enabling us to come into our inheritance, he begins by giving us a new heart and a new spirit. And that's why I believe, brothers and sisters, that this new covenant that God has made in the blood of his Son, is a covenant with the new man and not the old man. And so we need to discover ways so we don't allow our hearts to become hardened to where we do not listen to the voice of God. And so, by his grace, by the help of the Holy Spirit, we can learn how to keep our hearts humble before Him. You remember in the Sermon on the Mount, beginning in Matthew chapter 5, if you'll look at those verses, it seems to me that the focus of our Lord's ministry there was on the inner man. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are meek. Blessed are those who are pure in heart. Blessed are those who are hungry. It all talks about something inside. And this is where God's focus is. And our hearts are the thing that controls our inner man. Even when it comes to this matter of recognizing and experiencing Jesus Christ as the Lord. You know, our Father's already made him Lord. Nothing can change that. Our salvation is when we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, then we're saved. Saved from what? Saved from ourselves. Saved from being our own Lord. Now, most of us here have lived long enough to discover we're not very good masters. And so we've been obeying the wrong person. And so... God focuses his attention on the heart. Now what happened when Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Because you remember the Lord said the day you eat thereof you're going to die. You're going to surely die. Now we know they didn't die physically and they didn't die psychologically. But there was a spiritual death that occurred and affected man because his inner abilities were dead now the result was I un- what I understand is the body and the soul because you remember it says God first made the man uh, the dust of the ground the body breathed into his face the breath of life and he became in the Hebrew a nefesh hayah a living soul so here's man now he has a body he is a spirit, which was God's life, God's breath It was breathed into him, not his life, but his breath. And out of this, man became a soul. But when he disobeyed, the body and the soul joined into a conspiracy against the spirit. And man has become flesh. Now God found a way by creating, by Entering into a new covenant to do something in the inner man to overcome the results of Adam's disobedience. And now the number one thing he's looking for in our lives is to have hearts that can hear him and obey him. So what happened was they hardened their hearts, they did not listen, And when it was time to go in, they disobeyed. Now, this is a nature of our old man. Now, you may, you know, I don't know how you see yourself. Maybe you have somehow worked on becoming a nice rebel. Some of us are not so nice rebels. But some of us put a disguise on our rebellious nature. And we, try, we even teach it how to say good spiritual words. We try to teach it how to be a Christian. We make it go to meetings, etc., etc. Now, why? Why what's happened in us? Because you know in this situation, living in our old man, in our flesh, we cannot enter into our inheritance. Now, how, does, how did it happen? Why is it that we are rebels? Did we go to school? Did someone teach us? What happened? You have to forgive me for making mention to my son, Benjamin, okay? But the Lord has used him a number of times to really speak to my heart. I was in the delivery room when Benjamin was born. After he was born, you know what they normally do is the nurse takes him, cleans him up and brings him into the room. And so that's what they did. They brought Isabel in and then finally they brought Benjamin in. And the nurse thought it would be a good idea if they changed his diaper before they give him to Benjamin. So she laid him down on this table Now, this is the first time I've seen him up close. He's laying there on the table. Now, the nurse thought it was a good idea, but Benjamin didn't think it was a good idea. Now, he's less than an hour old. I'm telling you with my own eye, he clenched his fist and turned red. He didn't want it. Now, where did this guy I didn't have time to teach him. It just came out of him. And it has continued. And praise God, hallelujah, the Lord is working in him to teach him this very, very simple lesson that every one of us need to learn. We need to learn to obey. Even our Lord Jesus, he learned obedience by the things that he suffered. Now, brothers and sisters, there's not a greater lesson that any of us in this room or any believer needs to learn than this lesson. If we just simply learn to obey, then what the blessed Holy Spirit, who's inside us to reveal to us what God's will is, to speak to us about what God wants, He's there also to give us the measure of life of Christ to enable us to fulfill that. Now, I know that doesn't sound American. It doesn't... In other words, you know as Americans, we are so self-confident. We feel that we can do anything. Well, that's quickly being changed. But anyhow, this kind of thing gets inside of us. And we think we can be successful, as our dear brother had just mentioned to us. And God has to design the circumstances of our life so as to bring us to the reality so what is the big obstacle to our entering into our inheritance? A hard heart that hasn't learned how to obey. Now praise God, it doesn't have to remain that way. The Holy Spirit is able to take us. As our brother said, he's just waiting for us to say, I belong to him. Open the door of our lives and give every key to your to the, the, every area of your life, to the blessed Holy Spirit. Every key to my heart, Lord Jesus. Enter in, cleanse from sin, fill with love and power. Dana's mom wrote that song many years ago. But it has a message that every one of us... And so we need to say to the blessed Holy Spirit, make yourself at home in my life. You're free to go into any area... change anything. I'm willing to cooperate with you. But I need your help. So first thing. Second thing and it's really connected to this because our Lord Jesus learned obedience by the things that he suffered. So in Hebrews chapter 12, our brother Dana mentioned it the other evening. The absolute necessity of discipline. Now we don't like this word. If you would look, you can ask somebody sitting behind you that when we mention the word discipline, the hair goes up on the back of your neck. Because as rebels, we don't like discipline. We want to do what we want to do. But without discipline, my brothers and sisters, what the writer says, you're not really a a legitimate child of God. You can say with your words, but in practice, in reality, if there's not discipline in your life, this proves that you are God's child and he's bringing you into sonship. And without it, it's impossible. Sorry, brothers and sisters, I have to mention Benjamin again. (laughs) This kid has so much energy. And you can imagine at my age trying to keep up with him. It's impossible. But here's what I want to ask you. Knowing that Benjamin is such a strong-willed boy and he has more energy than ten children should have, do you want me to just forget about discipline and just let him live his life the way he wants to? Anybody want him to come live with you? (laughs) Hmm? Do you see, my brothers and sisters, it's not optional. If you want to enter your inheritance, you have to accept the fact that discipline is a necessary part. So if you are an undisciplined person, then it means that that in itself becomes a hindrance, a blockage, a barrier to our entering in. Now let's get, try to get something clear. There's a big difference between punishment and discipline. Listen carefully, please. All the punishment that you and I ever deserved for our rebellious acts Praise God our, our heaven our Lord Jesus took that punishment on himself on the cross We never have to bear the punishment for our sins whether past present or future Now are there consequences? Yes, there are consequences, but not the punishment Brothers and sisters we can look out into eternity with the absolute assurance on the basis of the covenant that God has made with us, that our eternity is one that's going to be in fellowship with God. So let's be clear. The punishment that we deserved, he took it. But in the same way that he was disciplined, we need to be disciplined. So consider another aspect of what the writer says. About this matter of considering Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Or in chapter 12, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Now how much, let me me just ask you, and I'm only trying to awaken something, I'm not trying to condemn you, but how much time do we spend considering and looking off to? If you're like most of us living in this time in history, you, you probably if you had a recording of your, what you said all day long, you would hear yourself saying, I don't have time, I don't have time, I don't have time. And so we talk ourselves into believing something that is not true. Like I said to the brothers and sisters in, in New York, the last time I checked, there's still 24 hours in a day. I know some of us don't feel like there are, but there are still 24 hours. So what do we need to do? We need to find the grace to discipline ourselves. You are the one that's responsible. Now, not that the Holy Spirit won't come and enable you, but in the same way, when when the children of Israel were going over into the promised land, when did the water part? When they were still on the bank? No, when the priest put their foot in the water. And then God acted. Well, this needs to be done. A number of years ago, you know, some of you know that Dane and I play golf together once in a while. It's it's all his fault. He invited me. He invited me to play golf with him in 1968, I think it was. And I accepted. But anyhow, a few years ago, We were playing somewhere, I don't remember where. And he said, Ernie, I feel like I need to take a lesson from the pro. And so I'm going to go talk to the pro and get a 30-minute lesson. So he did, and I went out and started hitting some balls, getting ready for the game. And Dana comes out, and the pro helps him. He helps him in 15 minutes, says something about our brother. But anyhow, I won't talk about that. But he said, you see, see that guy over there? He's my friend. He needs some help, too. So he said, go over there. (laughs) So the pro comes over and introduces himself and said, now let me me see you hit some balls. And so I did. I hit some balls, and he said, "Okay, Ernie, this is what you need to change. And he helped me change it, and it greatly improved. Then he said to me, Ernie, do you know how long it takes to change a bad habit into a good one? He said, 21 days. 21 times of doing it all. Oh, this is what they discovered in playing golf. Now we want our discipline just to be for a little while. But we need to look at this thing long range. It's not that he's not able to do it. That's not the problem. The problem is you and I getting out of the way so that the lessons can be learned. But we have to become a disciplined people, brothers and sisters, so that we can share the holiness, God's very nature, Christ formed in us. This is his goal. This is his objective, both individually and corporately. What is the church? What is the greatest definition of the church that you find in the New Testament? The church, Ephesians one twenty-three: the church which is his body, The fullness of him who fills all in all. And this prayer in Ephesians 3, what did Paul pray? That we may be filled to all the fullness of God. This man had the courage to pray such a prayer. Oh, brothers and sisters, do you think that this can happen without discipline in our lives? Now, I... I'm saying this to a group of brothers and sisters that many of you, your, your schedules are impossible. So what are you going to do? You're probably not going to change the system that you're a part of. But my thought is, you say to the Lord, Lord, I want to spend this time considering my Lord Jesus, looking off to him, contemplating him, meditating about him. Have we learned the art of meditation? No, because we don't have time. It's one of these spiritual disciplines that has has eluded us. I look in the libraries for a good book on meditation. I don't find any. And so it just tells me this is something that is greatly needed among us. So let's suppose you have a schedule. You work five and a half days a week, maybe even six days a week. You have to travel long distance to get to work. You get there, you have a long, busy, harassing day, and then you have to drive back home. So you don't feel like you have time in the morning, you don't have time in the night, and so when do you have time to consider him? Well, sometimes, I used to say, the only meditation some brothers and sisters on Long Island do is when they're driving on the longest parking lot in the world, the LIE. That's when they do their meditating. But brothers and sisters, that won't won't cut it. That won't do it. So maybe you ought to consider that taking part of your vacation and setting it aside and say, Lord, this is for you. I want, in your mercy, make up for all the times. But I, I trust, brothers and sisters, that we will find a way in the midst of our busyness to do this. There's a very simple principle our Lord Jesus gives us. Seek first the kingdom. Seek first times to meditate, consider, contemplate your Lord, and somehow he will take care of the rest. But this is a step of faith, but it's a discipline. Please know, my little bit of experience is this, brothers and sisters, take that first step, and you'll find the Holy Spirit meeting you there, being faithful to you, enabling you to find time and to meet with the Lord in this way so that it produces wonderful results. You I mean, this, this weekend, when the Lord has given us the opportunity to fellowship about this great inheritance, I have to say to you, it's been a wonderful experience for me to begin to try to search the scriptures and find out it's been such a reward. I trust it has been for all of us that somehow the Lord has opened our eyes to see something of the riches that are ours in this great inheritance simply because when we believe in his Son he enters into covenant with us and this covenant provides all of this inheritance all that is needed and the blessed Holy Spirit has been sent by the Father and the Son to come here and be our helper Do you need help with meditation? Do you need help with your discipline? Do you need help in loving your brothers and sisters? All of these things. That's what the Lord Jesus sent him here to do. Not to do it ourselves, but for the Holy Spirit to come indwell us and enable us to do the will of God. The other thing I would just quickly mention is... Learn to be a grateful people. In Hebrews uh, chapter 13, we are encouraged to be a grateful people. So you know this is another thing that brings hardness of heart is when we don't give the thanks that we need. If you go to to Romans chapter 1, When Paul is talking about the wrath of God be revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness and God has been faithful to reveal himself through the things that were created what was man's response? They did not honor him nor did they give thanks. This is something ingrained in our old human nature that has to be broken. And so I would suggest to us fight this battle, declare war And on any element of of unthankfulness, of being ungrateful, and overcome it by 10,000 thanks, 10,000 thanks. Well, my time is gone. I didn't get my other questions. But brothers and sisters, every hindrance that may be there, that God has a solution to enable us to overcome it. May the Lord... Be merciful to us.
2: Well, there are 24 hours in a day, but the Lord has left me with a New York minute. <laughs> one of the questions which we won't answer, I don't know, one of the brothers got it and they just threw it away was, somebody actually asked this, must be from New York, I'm not sure. Just tell me, what's the quickest shortcut to the spiritual inheritance? (laughs) Somebody actually asked that question. Hey, just give me the quick shortcut. Don't give me a lot of babble, just give me the stuff. Well, you know, these times of fellowship and question and answers is always a time of spiritual exercise, and we're hearing really practical sanctification, which of course is the process that the Lord is now engaged uh, in all of our lives about. But somebody asked the question, one doesn't know if it's for themselves or because they are thinking of some others they're concerned about and this person says what will happen to those who do not want to appropriate the spiritual inheritance today when the Lord comes back and in eternity what will happen to those who do not want to appropriate their spiritual inheritance I think I'd like to boil down everything Ernie said and the letter to the Hebrews with this one conclusion. You can only press forward. There is no alternative. Sometimes we Christians think, well I heard that there was a pastor one day who had a pretty worldly congregation and he hadn't gotten their favor, and so he decided to preach on that scripture from Hebrews. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? And he went and told them five ways they could escape. (laughs) There's no escape, there's no way back. The children of Israel could not have returned to Egypt. It isn't an option. Why would we address the options? But now, let's uh, just look a little deeper at this question because those who aren't pursuing, we have to say, I'm, I'm going to put them in three categories, those who are considering the alternatives. We have to say with a heavy heart. There are many Christians who have been born again who have no idea of a spiritual inheritance. And they're not pursuing out of uh, the ignorance of not knowing there's something to be gained. They just know they're saved and and so all we gotta do is kinda wait around till we die and then we all go to heaven and we wear nightgowns and float around. It's already done. It's finished. And uh, now that you're saved, and especially if you've been baptized and been hung up to dry by the ears, you're ready. Now, you know, the, only, the, the one thing we really have going for us is that the Holy Spirit is the best circumstantial engineer in the world. And He brings many who have never heard of spiritual inheritance into their spiritual inheritance. Now just think about that. What an amazing God. They have never heard that the starting point is consecration, like our brother said today. But somehow the Holy Spirit gets them to a point of consecration. They may call it total surrender. They may call it yielding to the call. They may call it baptism of the Spirit. But beyond the nomenclature, the Holy Spirit, perhaps he takes this Christian now who's just pursuing their own advancement in the world. And he begins to set up a roadblock in every plan they have. Okay, I'm going to take that job. It doesn't work out. Okay, you know what? I've, I've got a great idea. It doesn't work out. Frustrated here, frustrated there, the Holy Spirit mercifully roadblocking all the ways that lead into Broadway and the world. And even though this person's trying to just live their own life and getting tweets from Egypt and getting blogs from Babylon, the Holy Spirit hedges them in until they say, "I can't understand it. What is wrong, God, what are you doing?" And God says, "Come to me." And they do it. And the consecration begins the great car wash which is somewhere in 2 Chronicles. (laughs) Maybe the Lord has to allow people to pursue and to gain some things and hold some trophies and realize they're made out of dust. Oh, I gained the position. You know, they call me important at my job. And for this, I've only had to exchange my soul. And then you hold that thing as Solomon did and said, vanity of vanity. What is this world offering me? Because you see, oh wonderful God, the moment we get saved, we become new creatures. And the Holy Spirit has been sent to us to teach us the things that matter. And one way or another in His great engineering of our lives, He brings many saints to spiritual inheritance who had no idea there was one to be gained. And for this, I bless my God. This is our only hope for the many born-again saints in denominations and churches that almost dwell in darkness. And yet there's a remnant of those there pressing on. They know not why. Oh, blessed saints, did we have a clue why? And yet, somehow, in the circumstances around them, the Lord reveals Himself. Because in the new creation, He is the air that they breathe, and He is the food that they eat, and He reveals that to them somehow. And they look beyond the bread to the bread of life, and etc. So the first, and the majority of those Christians not pursuing, they don't even know there's something to be pursued. May the Lord help them. Oh, Share the hors d'oeuvres of the kingdom with brothers and sisters where you work. Those who are are saints but don't know where to go from here. Just give them a little bit of Christ. Make them hungry. The Spirit will open the way for them. There's a second group and they're Christians and they started on the way and our brother's spoken much about it. uh, These Christians in Hebrews, and they're just like you and I, who've gotten somewhere down the road and now they've been entangled. Entangled by uh, encumbrances, heavinesses, and besetting sin. And we know that this will cause a halt in our spiritual pursuit. And the Holy Spirit, again, is faithful to us. He will convict us. You know, we get so entangled in our own involvement, our life, our lifestyle, And the Holy Spirit will give us opportunities. Go away to this meeting. You say, oh, I I can't, I'm too busy. Or the the saints will be gathering in your fellowship for prayer. You say, oh, oh, I can't, I'm on vacation. But every time that your entanglements prevent you from pursuing the kingdom, there's a Holy Spirit inside that says, no good, no good, no good. No, no, no. And somewhere along the line, those no's add up. And you start to say, what am I doing so entangled with so much that when the Lord says, follow me, I say, first let me do this. First let me do that. Can I follow you and take a wagon with a big uh, TV on the back? uh, Because I don't want to miss my show. Of course I want to go to prayer meeting, but there's um, American Idol on that night. I mean, really, that's where a lot of Christians come from. You see, uh, uh, well, so uh, how, how does the Holy Spirit untangle us? Well, we have to leave that to his amazing way. And sometimes he does it. It's just the only way he can finally get you to see that you're absolutely bound up and not pursuing is he gives you a rope. Like in the days of the cowboys, those old show cowboy movies where the bad guy says, OK, here, take this rope and tie yourself up. And the jerk ties himself up with a knot he can't get out of. Isn't that the story of Jacob? God just gave him the rope. Because God couldn't argue with Jake. He just gave him the rope and let him tangle himself up. And after 20 years of entanglements, engaged with his father-in-law, and four wives, and the kids and everything. God just gave him the rope and remained silent by his side, blessing him every way he could. And there he is out in the darkness, shivering. He's got a million sheep, but he's afraid of his father-in-law. He's out there, oh boy, this is great, oh yeah. And finally one day God says, take off the rope and head to the house of God. There was no greater gospel ever spoken to a man. Sometimes God has to let us tangle ourselves up. Oh. But, uh, you know, he's working even through these disciplined things in our lives for our freedom and liberty to pursue him. Oh, you you know, I, I know I'm speaking to the choir because most of us here are failures who had to discover only the Lord could deliver us and carry us on. When most Christians get saved, it's just as our brothers have said. You know, we, we get saved and we really love the Lord. We want to serve Him. And so we get the Bible. And so we just start doing everything the Bible tells us to do. <laughs> that has its own entanglements, you see, because sooner or later we start to fail and come to the end of ourselves. But isn't that the process? It's no good telling a young Christian, uh, you, know, uh, you know, you can't really be holy on your own. It's only the Lord who can be holy in you. Oh, no, no, I can be holy. Why, I quit smoking. You yeah? <laughs> know? But it is true. From the moment you're saved, the Holy Spirit does a change in our lives. And so the writers, like Paul, he's not ashamed to say, to the saints in Corinth. It's an amazing statement. To the holy ones who've been separated. Because the minute you're saved... According to the gospel, you're you're sanctified you're set apart. But then the car wash. Hmm? But you are saints and it changes. I remember there's a brother I met when I was a young Christian, only a couple of months old. I was saved at 20 years old. And I met this brother who had a scar on his face. And his testimony, I heard, I was amazed. He was a very bad alcoholic who basically lost his family and his job and in a fight he'd gotten his face gashed. It's an ugly scar he has for life and he got saved. And his explanation was, he got saved that night and up off his knees he went and never touched another drop of alcohol. And people say, how did you do it? Did you go through the 10 ways program? He says, I can't explain it. I don't know what happened, but when I got saved, God changed my wanter. (laughs) This is the funniest phrase I've ever heard. (laughs) I just didn't want that anymore. And every born again child begins to want The things that make for godliness. We may be stumbled and flawed and in ignorance not know how to pursue. But we want. Something's changed in us. And the Holy Spirit is the one that brings us through. Now now I must speak a moment about there are some who willfully do not want to pursue their spiritual inheritance. They have willfully decided. And uh, this is a fearful thing. The fearful thing, the writer says, to fall into the hands of the living God. And why is it fearful? There's only one reason. The only thing you need to be afraid of is somebody who so jealously loves you that he'll do anything to gain you. God goes to extremes to gain his wayward children. And we may willfully say, I don't care a thing about him. I am like Esau. I despise my inheritance. But God loves you more than you can know. And he will do things, as we have seen in the Bible. I'll just mention a few. All he has to do is to strip the hedge that He's placed around you, that you've absolutely taken for granted. And suddenly you are assailed with difficulties, attacks, and things you never knew existed. All this time, He's had a hedge about you, as His dear child. It says in Romans chapter 1, you know, for those who refuse to acknowledge God, what did God do to, because He was an angry lover? Did He beat him up? It just says, He let go. When God takes off His hedge of covering around us, we discover our lives have only been protected thus far by the mercy of God. Here's a lesson. Another lesson we find in the Bible, it's it's a severe lesson. We discover that the God of healing has been giving us sound health of body in our lives. And He just takes away His hand. He doesn't have to make you sick. You are in the process now as if you're a person more than one day old, you're actually in the process of corrupting unto death. And only because God is our healing do you stay healthy. Don't think it's your special food diet of uh, ginger ale and oatmeal. Please be healthy, eat healthy, exercise healthy. But I'm telling you, it's the God who is our healing that's keeping you in hell. If He withdrew His hand for a moment, what did Paul say about that man who was sinning in 1 Corinthians? Now, I've decided to give this man's body up to the Lord's dealing in order to save his spirit. Wow. I've never heard that in a prayer meeting we don't seem to have that kind of ferocity in our love to see the saints perfected. But our God, all he has to do with gold is go this, like this: boop, touch one thing in your physical body, and you're down for the count. The Lord wants to gain us. And so I say, for those who willfully say, well, I don't want to. Follow the Lord. It'll be silence. But He will be undoing with all of His love. Now this question asks, Today, when the Lord comes back, all I can say about it is those who have not pursued, who have been careless, who have been uncaring, who are saved but carnal, when the Lord comes back, we don't have time for details. All I can say is, there will be unbearable regret and a deep sense of shame that we have trifled and not taken advantage of an opportunity to serve with the King of Kings in a responsible position. There is a remorse that will fall upon people that the Bible calls such things as gnashing of teeth because we miss the opportunity through foolishness. It's a serious matter. It really is. Not to be taken lightly. Well, then what about eternity? (coughs) In eternity, all who have been born again will come into inheritance. But depending upon your faithfulness and your usefulness during this lifetime, you will not only find Ruling and reigning and special fellowship during the kingdom age. But even in eternity, you in this lifetime are being prepared for something in eternity. And you can miss God's best. That wonderful preacher A.B. Simpson wrote wrote that famous little song. I I like to sing it with the young people. And it has to do, he was speaking on Joshua entering the promised land. And he had that little uh, song that he sang. God has His best things for the few who dare to stand the test. He has His other things for those who will not have His best. Our God loves all His children, but He has the best things for you. All the best things. And there'll be some regret if we come so short of that, that we're part of the other things, it's wonderful to be his child. We'll be in the kingdom. He'll have transformed us. His mercy has greater latitude than any of us could understand. But you want his best, don't you? So the answer to this question is, there's no alternative. Press on. Press on. I have only time for one more question. It's a good one, and it has to do with this process of sanctification. But thankfully, my brothers have spoken about it this morning. In Acts 20.32 and 26.18, those two references we've already been using, we see that our inheritance is conditional by our experiential sanctification. In Hebrews 12.14, you might want to turn there, uh, we are exhorted to pursue the sanctification of, without which no one will see the Lord. Since we need to growingly and progressively see the Lord, would you define what you understand as to what this means? Well, <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's a very good question. And this is, he's asking about seeing the Lord. You know the, bio, the wonderful uh, kingdom reality that blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. I don't want us to get tripped up on seeing because not everybody here is a mystic. Seeing the Lord is more comprehensive than somehow, you know, you're praying and through some kind of a fog up in the lights you see a face. No. There is a seeing with the eyes of our heart that we see the Lord. We know when the Lord's there. We we learn this. Uh, uh, In the Word of God, we see the Lord. And as we obey in this process of sanctification, trust and obey, trust and obey, and the more we trust and obey, the more we see Him, the more we know Him. Right? So there's things at the beginning of our Christian life that we knew by faith, but now we know with a kind of a certainty borne out by an obedience that's come to a further knowledge what Paul calls the full knowledge, experiential knowledge. And so this matter of seeing is more than just sort of mystical experiences. This matter of seeing brings the Christian to the place where they're not tossed up and down by every wind of doctrine and everything that comes along. Why? What is it that's brought the body of Christ to that kind of maturity? It's because they know the Lord. They know the Lord enough to know if something is extraneous or something is not the Lord. How we need that today in the body of Christ? But this process of sanctification, this wonderful process we've been talking about, is exactly that process that brings us into a clearer seeing of the Lord. A clearer seeing of the Lord. You're on the way. The Lord will clarify. It's a wonderful experience of sanctification, where we're joined together cooperatively with the Lord. Now, our brothers have been emphasizing the, the, the part about the Lord doing it all, the down payment, the full payment. It's interesting that the Lord says to you at the end, good job, well done. You say, what? But there is a cooperation. Somebody wrote a book, I don't know who, I can't think, but I think it's something like, a we take, he undertakes. What is it? Is that A.B. Simpson? Ah, I was suspicious all along. Because it, it seems like we have to take that first step by faith, as our brother said, and then he undertakes. Right? So that whole story of the promised land is kind of like our picture. Okay, how, where do we start first? All right, here you go, brother. Step down into the Jordan at the high tide. That's all. Boop, 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 boop. Now, it isn't that the priests took the ark and crossed the Jordan, Jordan walking on the water. No, but they had to put their foot there, and then whoosh, the Lord undertook. And they walked down on the bottom and waited for everybody to go through. They kept checking their watch. Ah oh, man, uh, I wish these guys would go faster. <laughs> Look at that big water there. But they made it through, came to the other side. Whoosh, came the water. And the Lord says, go and take Jericho. B-b-b-b-b- Jericho? He said, yeah, go around it seven times. Then just before you fight them, blow the trumpet. So they blew the trumpet. They shouted, Jesus. And the walls came down. The whole thing crumbled. And they just went in and took it. I mean, it's a piece of cake because all of the guards and soldiers were up on the walls. Now they were all peanut butter down on the ground. They were crushed by stones. And Then in goes, what a victory. The Lord says, You won the victory. He say, Well, wait a minute. I think the deck was stacked. <laughs> then He says, Ah, oh, you've got to go to this place and fight the, the Canaanites in the land. And so they start out and they fight, and they get a great victory. They get back together. And they say, You know what? I've been counting them up. More people were killed by hailstones and wasps <laughs> than we killed. But the Lord wants us to, under, to start, and then he undertakes. In every area of our sanctification, we start out saying, you know, I don't think I can do it. And the Lord says, just take the step. Say, yes, Lord, if you really think it's me. And then watch what I can do. So like I tell the young people, you know, uh, you know I don't know why I'm such an old guy, I don't know why they ask me to speak to young people, but... You know, one of their serious issues as young people is morning devotions. It's hard to do. I mean, it's true. They've they've got their devices now. They can punch Andrew Murray, and they can punch uh, uh, my utmost for his highest. While they're eating, I'm eating my Cheerios, I'm reading my utmost for my highest. Oh, yeah, this is my devotion. No, 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 no. So I say every morning when you get up, this is my experience. Every morning you get up, There's a little bit of ice on the lake. Uh, A little ice on your heart. Do I really want to open the Bible now? Uh, Pray. Wait till I feel like it. Uh, Don't do that. (laughs) But then you say, Lord, for your sake, I don't feel very devotional this morning, uh, but uh, I'll break the ice. I'm willing, Lord. If I open my Bible, would you speak to me? I really need help and supply. (coughs) Break that thin, thin little film of resistance in our will. And the Lord gives us life. Mm, That water was good. The next morning you get up, there is your little bowl and there's ice on the water. So we learn we have to take a step. And then he undertakes and this process is, is so practical. And, you know, he has such a way of working sanctification in everybody's life. Who, who can spell it out? It's, it's impossible. It's it, he, is a, he is the ultimate, better than a Hong Kong tailor. <laughs> he tailor-makes just exactly what we need to bring us to where he wants us. So I, have a, I, I end up with a story. Okay. Now, uh, there, there's, a, there's a conference in December. There's not. I'm making it up. Okay? A conference in <laughs> December, and five uh, brothers and sisters are asked uh, to, to work with the teenagers, and each one has a message every day. Okay, five people are given this assignment. Okay, come December, you've got to come, have got to have a message for the young people every day. Okay, we've got five different people. We've got, we got the guy who uh, knows everything, and we got the guy with the sister who's very fearful. We got another person who's very complicated. We got another person who's a doer. And we got the last one who's a procrastinator. Now, don't you know the Lord has his way with each one of those people? Now, the no guy, he already knows what he wants to say. But he goes and reads everything he can find from Austin Sparks and Watchman Nee on that line. Just to uh, find some uh, chapter and verse to what he wants to say to the people because he knows immediately. Knowledgeable, not I'm strong. Well, of course, during the process of the preparation, somehow he loses the notes. That, uh, he shares what he's going to say with his wife, and he's, she says, What are you saying? <laughs> Now, somehow that, that strong one's going to be undone in the process by the time they get to that thing. I mean, if God has his ways, God forbid, sometimes the strong guy gets there fully intact. Uh, <laughs> things don't worry. Now, the fearful one spends the first two weeks wondering why God wants to expose their ignorance. They've kept it secret for so long. Now it's going to be exposed. Everybody's going to see they don't have it. They never hear from God. They never have, have no idea where to start. I'm done. I'm finished. They go through a whole messerole role in their psychology where they find themselves flat on the floor with their face on the ground. Oh, God, I'm, this is the end. <laughs> uh, the uh, complicated person, well... They just, you know, they start with one scenario, and there's somebody who writes it out quite quickly, but that scenario leads to a certain darkness. And so they tear that up, and they start again, and it leads this trip. They are the ones with the wastebasket full of thrown papers. <laughs> Nothing. I don't know what to do. I, I thought, but it's complicated. <laughs> the doer starts out with the list. Okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this but the doer always gets waylaid by other things and ends up with just a list of things potentially. Of course, the procrastinator comes up with a skit and a couple of funny stories, which they sure is going to cover today. And only by God's mercy, when they get to the conference and hear the first message, probably by that weak, uh, unsure one, and sees the level of heart and ministry involved, that's when the procrastinator falls on his face and says, oh man, what a fool. I got, I got nothing. I got nothing, Lord. And so they, you, you see them out at the edge of the dock, <laughs> twenty minutes before they're
0: speaking, says,
2: God, please, anything. Now don't you know, that's the body of Christ. It's all of us. We're this or we're that. You know, everybody has a different temperament. But the problem with all of our temperaments have been stained with sin, with flesh. And uh, so the Lord has a process. We all know the process, right? We must decrease. He must increase. And so it's strange to say the Lord takes unfinished servants like you and I and He says, do this for me. Teach the Sunday school class. Of course, you're not worthy. Of course you're not ready. Only the person who thinks they're ready discovers they're not ready. But you see, the Lord uses our life. So you see, so I, I was just thinking the other as I was thinking about this. Okay, somebody says, Okay, I want to pursue my spiritual inheritance. You know what I gotta do? I gotta quit my job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm gonna do. Welfare is good enough. I'm going to read my Bible day and night. I, you know what? I'm going to study Greek online. <laughs> I've always wanted to take that CD that, 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 that back there on the table, the complete works of Watchman Nee, read the whole thing in one sitting. This is... Pursue spiritual inheritance. It never works. These people become lazy clods. Watching television all day long. (laughs) Here's how the Lord gets a spiritual inheritance. He says, now I want you to pursue me. You say, yes Lord, here I go. And then he gives you an impossible job. Now that's the way he gets gold out of you. Produces a, gets you on an impossible job where you're absolutely done in. And then you say, Lord, can I find you possibly in this job? And he shows himself. Or circumstances that get tough. That's how we get to gold. Isn't that true? You know, when times are easy, there's no gold, there's fool's gold. I mean, the Lord can make us progress when times are good. I don't want to leave that impression, but it's when times are tough that we really gain something. Now, I've uh, I've been a brother in a, in a, several assemblies in my lifetime and I have to report that which I know you all know. The times really that our assemblies have come to a higher plateau have been through difficult times where something was dying and a problem was besetting the whole company. And we had nothing else to do but lay down our lives and our prayer became more intense and sincere and our mercy became more noticeable. If you're in something that's easy, I don't know you're gaining much ground. But if we're in something and in our pursuit, we're discovering many, many difficult things, I think perhaps the Lord is really gaining something. If we'll stay in there, the most difficult thing, as you know, in the United States today is staying in a particular company of believers when there's 12 other alternatives in the same neighborhood. But I think we're built together when we realize, where else can I go, Lord? Where else can I go? We lay our lives down with brothers and sisters. The Lord works this sanctifying process. Now, it's easy to speak to the choir. You see, I can see you're all on the car wash already. But be faithful. Do you you want to see the Lord? Is that something precious to you? If you obey, if you will allow Him to do these things we've been talking about, you will see the Lord. At the deepest level, John wrote to the fathers. And the one definition or description of those fathers, you know, little children, young men, fathers, is this. You've known Him who is from the beginning. Now that takes a walk before the Lord in sanctification. And the Lord uh, increases His own life, brings us through the cross and different dealings. And uh, we need today spiritual fathers. That's brothers and sisters who know Him who is from the beginning. Even in this lifetime, we can discover some nuggets of His preciousness in the body of Christ. To me, it's often been very encouraging to see His precious ones in the body of Christ when the Lord reveals Himself in somebody. But meanwhile, we go through this walk, and it's, uh, we've already heard, it's a difficult walk. Oh, may the Lord help us. May the Lord help our brothers and sisters who know so little of the things we've been talking about even this weekend. Oh, the Lord, he is the one who says, I have begun a good work and I will complete it. Our our time is up, but uh, I think we'd like to ask our brother Hosea if you would close our time in prayer. Uh, on behalf of all of us. Appreciate it.
3: I always consider this Monday question and answer session is the apex, the high point of this conference. Those who left early, they have no idea what they're missing. <laughs> but we're in deep place. I just want to share a few words from my heart. I think the bottom line is to discover do we have that true trust in Him and Him alone. That's the bottom line. We say we trust, but are we really trusting wholly and completely? Now recently we've been sharing this matter of trust in South Jersey by a brother and also in the West Coast last year's conference. If he's trustworthy, do we dare to entrust him with our all? That's the bottom line. And so I was hoping that Brother Kong yesterday he will finish on Matthew 11, on take my yoke and follow me. Now that's the key, because he knows the way, he's the life, he's everything. And if we hang on to him and let him be our all, we have to show in in view. he is responsible if we yoke with him. Now that is the key. Now we trust him. We all say we trust him. How much do we really trust him? How much are we there to entrust our all to him? That is the challenge. And if the Lord can get hold of our whole trust, Really in trusting Him, we have the assurance He will take us all the way to the end. That's the key to the whole thing. Faith. Without faith, we cannot please Him. And trust and obey is the key. So may the Lord help us. Now this week's sharing may be above our heads, but it's real. And the Lord meant business. As we trust Him, He will make what we heard this week more real to us more experimental to us. First we have to hear, we have to see, we have to believe, we have to entrust him to work it out. Then he will do it all. So may the Lord help us. And now the other thing that we want need you to pray. This is the 20, 23rd year of Harvest Conference. If the Lord has been gracious to us and used his comfort in some measure that is pleasing to him, it's at least opened our horizon to see the greatness of Christ. That's what we need. We make Christ too small. And this comfort, if it serves any purpose, is to bring us to a, a, a greater horizon of seeing the true greatness of Christ. And we hope that will be the direction if we have another year, it will be something greater, something more, because he's inexhaustible. And we are privileged to be together to discover the unsearchable riches of Christ. And He is truly our inheritance. But we are searching to discover, to trust Him, to discover and to experience it and to enjoy it. Now do pray with us for next year's iteration. I tell you, every year is a fearful, we are fearful and trembling for the Lord. Find a theme we think is of the Lord appropriate for this time. It's been a struggle, because Brother Kong, quite a few years ago, he told me, he said, now, it's your responsibility to seek the Lord for his this conference. It's your responsibility. And so now, I want you to share that responsibility with all of us in South Jersey. We cannot bear alone. We need you to stand together with us. So thank you for coming, and your coming here is a great encouragement to us. To so see those hungry for the Lord, I tell you, it's very hard of. take thing. Oh, my. To see those who have a heart for the Lord is beautiful. And indeed, God's inheritance is beautiful. Our hearts toward Him, that's what we long for. It's a heart-to-heart relationship. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this conference, for speaking to our hearts. And we just pray that our trust will be real. We entrust You, dare entrust You with all our future will cast lot with you, knowing you, that what you have promised, you will surely fulfill it. And to God be all the glory. As we depart, we depart rejoicing because it's, we, we have met you in a new way. May your presence be our satisfaction. And keep drawing us to the fullness of Christ. Lord, we want fullness. We want fullness for your people as well. In Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. We want to thank Brother Kong for many years. At his age, 95, he still wants to be faithful to the end. It's a precious example for all of us. And only came all the way from Brazil and Dana, and just to see how our house here, I tell you it's beautiful. Only the God can do such a thing, and to him be all the glory.